I mean, Dan, that Bree Samba thing, it was dramatic, but not that dramatic, was it? What did you think? Yeah, it was. Um, I, I was on a plane. I'm going to start there. I, I, mm. I was texting a few of you during the game because I wasn't watching it. And then my Wi-Fi went in the airport. I got on the plane and I missed the last 10 minutes. Yeah. And then I got a load of texts saying Bryce Sanders just punched someone in the face and Ryan Yates has scored. Yeah, because you said, like, um, oh, what's happened? I thought he's taking a piss. I was like, have you... Um, so, you, yeah, you're on a plane. I was sat in a pub where the Six Nations were surrounded by French people watching it on my phone um, with a Chelsea fan. And I went, oh! And she's, like, bobbing down, looking through the pub because the Chelsea game, that nothing game that they've got in the European, whatever it is, World Club thing, she's watching that through, like, a thing. And I went, oh! Samba's just punched someone in the face. And she went, no, he's my favourite Forest player. And she looked at the replay. She went, yeah, that's, that's pretty bad, that. It, it, I mean, it was pretty bad. Anyone else on the pitch, if I'd have got text messages going, Yates has just punched someone in the face, I would have gone, oh, yeah, okay, brushed him and the guy went down easily. As soon as people said Samba punched someone in the face, I went, yeah, he did. He definitely did. I haven't seen it, but I bet he punched someone in the face. The best bit for me was I just didn't realise it was a pen. <laughs> I went, oh, it's a pen. And then because I was watching it in a pub and I didn't have the sound up, I was like, hold on, we ain't got any subs. <laughs> and then I got, I got slightly excited about going... Outfield player in goal. Outfield player in goal. <laughs> well, it's one of those weird things as well where um, I've learned about four new rules this year about football that I never knew. So that's one of them. I didn't know, like, if it was the ball was in his... I guess it is because the ball's live, right? It's not like a goal kick or anything, but... He, what do you, you mean? Know. Well, the thing where it was a penalty. And it's I was thinking, it. it's in got, the box. If they got, yeah, and, and the ball's live, but you kind of... I was thinking of, like you know, if a corner is going to be taken and someone does something in the box, that's not a penalty because the ball's not live and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, wow. But then I learned that. But then I also learned a couple of other things. Credit to Lee. Um, I'd be in the referee that he is, but a couple of his tweets. If you have a direct free kick, but you put it into your own net, it's a corner to the opposition. Yeah. Yeah. And, I saw that and, then, the and then the offside thing about you can be offside in your own half, depending on exactly when the ball was play or something like that i wasn't really oh, i didn't think you could be offside in your own half at a certain yeah there's some weird thing not in your own but where the balls play something that i don't quite understand but anyway what i'm learning is i don't know any rules about football basically no no um, it's quite it's quite exciting and then you kind of think to yourself while seeing joe i was like is is there any illegality here because he's not wearing his own number yeah you know what i mean because he was that's not his number and it's not his name so because there used to be a thing in the 90s I don't know if this was a thing because Jorge Campos, do you remember the diminutive Mexican goalkeeper? He kind of spat in the face of this rule where I always, when I did a, some ridiculous goal, you know, refereeing course or something at school, it was a lesson apparently. Uh, they said, goalkeepers have got to have long sleeves. You can't roll them above your elbows. And you were like, why? Because if an arm goes up in the box, you know, it's a keeper. And then when you saw Campos with his Nike explosion in a paint factory top, you were like, well, and now everyone has them, don't they? Yeah, everyone has short sleeves. What I want to see come back is long sleeves with the massive oversized diamond foaming on the elbows. Yes, yes, the padding. And just long sleeves in general, because uh, I think it's when we were playing, it was the last game we played, oh, it was Blackburn where we wore the, the day glow thing. Some of those underarms aren't quite the same colour. And I know I'm colourblind, so I might get a bit off with these, but they bring back the long sleeve shirt. Imagine how rad that would look, rad. What am I, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle? Yo, dude. Um, but like, that would look amazing, that shirt in Longsleeve. Is Longsleeve just gone now, do you think? Or they're missing an opportunity where they should actually sell the undergarments or whatever you want to call them in the exact correct colours. Macron should just do them right. I'm sure enough people would end up buying them underneath with a forest logo on the wrist or something ridiculous. But I, the last reference I remember to Longsleeve tops is Arsenal, who... This was fairly recent. It's in the 2000s. So whether it's 2002 or whether it was like five years ago, I can't remember. But it, um, their captain would decide at the beginning of the season if he was going to wear uh, the long sleeve or the short sleeve. And whichever he really? picked, the rest of the team had to go with. I didn't know that. Yeah. Maybe it's a captain figure because Stuart Pierce would always go the short sleeves, wouldn't he? Yeah, and really short shorts. Yeah, cycling shorts. Uh, nah, mate. I used to, did you ever... Because as a kid, I had rock cycling shorts because I, I thought my, my dad was our manager. He was a bit of a stickler. So he'd do things like go. I remember he brought me on once as a sub. I wasn't the greatest player. And uh, I asked the ref how long. And he went, did you just ask how long? And one of the other lads went, he did, Rob. Bastard. Whoever that was. And my dad went, sub. 
and brought me straight back off. And everyone took the pit. Everyone, I mean, can you imagine the humiliation? If you, know, you will listen to this, Dad. Still haunts my dreams. The, um, only time I, the only time I wore cycling shorts as a kid was when I was pretending to be Brett the Hitman Hart. Whoa. So what, just cycling shorts? This is an image. Cycling shorts, and I think my mum maybe cut the sleeves off a black top and sewed a pink heart on it of some description. Wow. But that's that's the kind of wrestling gear you can't get away with as a kid because your arms are just too skinny. Well, my arms are too skinny now. But yeah. if you're going to wear like cycling shorts and a vest and a heart on it, you've got to be rocking some biceps. Yeah, but not many 10-year-olds are. Most of them have got like, you know, I remember Barry Robinson at school, you know, he, he looked like someone from Kez. You know, like when you look back at some of the school things we did in the you know, 80s and that, it's just, you know. Um, people may be listening wondering what's happened um, to the podcast. Well, there's a few explanations. So first of all, we haven't been with you for a little while through to various reasons, um, mainly because of life getting in the way. Um, I tend to record all this on my computer and stuff like that. And I am um, away quite a lot with work at the moment, so I've not been able to. And then other members of the podcast have had bits going on and off and up and down around the house. Um, you've been on all day, haven't you, Dan? That's not really an excuse, but... I went to Nickelodeon World in Punta Cana for a week. For those of you who are in Bestwood or something, where is Punta Cana? It is a... It's part. It's a town in the Dominican Republic, but it's like going to Spain for a week's holiday. Right, um, if you're from America. Well, yeah, if you're from America, it's a it's a little flight, and uh, it was very nice actually. Kids hung out with uh, Paw Patrol characters and SpongeBob SquarePants, and I got oh, which, Coladas brought to me. Which which Paw Patrol characters there were they all there? Was um was Johnny Teeth there? Johnny Teeth. Um, Zuma wasn't there, and and Rocky wasn't there, and Everest wasn't there. But I can tell you that Chase, Marshall, Rubble, and Sky were all present and correct. Rubble's a good lad. He's he's known for. He's the one who doesn't mess around when he has a brew, is he? He has a strong brew, that lad. He, he does. Yeah, Marshall wears long sleeves. <laughs> and, yeah, Do you know, I've, Clem's just not. She's not quite got that far yet, but she's got in. She's she's become a bit addicted to in the night garden. Um. My mum's bought all the characters. So rather than her just staring at them, I think it was a good idea to sort of bring them to life. So she, I want to know what's going on in her head where she thinks that they're actually coming out, you know, out the screen. And obviously they've got their own little songs. Um, and now she, her mum is adamant that she doesn't have screen time. But when you see how she is, I'm like, yes, yeah, she has. She'll now go and get Macapaca. He's, he's my favourite. What a lad. Washes stones with a sponge. If the, no one ever gave a fuck, it was that lad, right? <laughs> he's, a, a little, yeah. he's a little OCD, isn't he? But the next week then, or whenever we're next recording, I want you to uh, recite the Macapaca song because I still can't get it down. There's a bit in it that I thought was racist the other day. Well, I yeah, must admit, I kind of looked and went, whoa. Yeah, Eagle Piggle that. goes that way as well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Weird, aren't yeah, I can think of what that might be. Um, so apart from uh, Dan being in um, an American version of Spain and meeting some of the lads and ladettes and geezers uh, from Paw Patrol, and I've been in the trippy world of, oh, yeah, that's the other thing as well. I do watch uh, In the Night Garden a lot thinking, thank God I'm not mainlining any kind of hallucinogenic watching this because... There's some serious times where Oopsie Daisy just absolutely freaks it out. Yeah, you've seen it too. Um, so yeah, apart from all that business going on, there's you know life's been in the way, and it, we've kind of picked a good time in some ways because Forest have been very much looking after you all um, with the, some wonderful results. Um, I think we've had Cardiff in there, which was a loss as well. I think Middlesbrough maybe, but we did nip back very briefly for one. But so tonight, because Holly's. Um, I was about to say making sweet love, which she will be uh, very much <laughs> blushing at, at this point. She's got a, she's doing date stuff and things with her partner, which is lovely. Um, and Lisa's got stuff on as well. It is Dan and I. So I'm currently holed up in a hotel in Birmingham. Uh, there's currently some people outside in Poundland having a fight, and people have all gathered around the corner to watch. Um, so yeah, that's England for you, Dan. Uh, and you're free as well, Dan. Are you doing something romantic tonight? No, not really. Just start a bit of this. Uh... I know you want. I know you wanted the music for me to say I was doing something romantic, but um, I'll probably be catching up on the work I should be doing while we're recording this. To be honest. Well, let's um, let's have a bit of this. This is a bit of a catchaturian here. There's a Dagio from Spartacus, and I'm just gonna just gonna play this just so it rises. Here we go. Go for this. It's a very different podcast this week. Here we go. Here we go. The people of Nottingham from the Forever Forest podcast. We love you. There we go. 
Um, so yeah, we start it was a, with two classical music things. We've got a really good quiz coming up at the end, a brand new one called Steve Blatherwick's Bollocks, and which is gonna be an absolute tour de force. Uh, but between that, there's no more classical music. Dan will be doing one of his infamous um guess the Garibaldi's. Uh, now, one of us in the team is absolutely dog shit at them, and I, that's the only person who's left. So without further ado, Dan, why not start with the uh, first bit? Let me get that nice and quiet. When you're ready. Oh, I can actually hear the music this, this time. Yeah, well, for those who are, again, wondering what's going on, because I'm away from my normal computer doing this, um, I'm doing all of this kind of live. So if anything ever goes a bit awry, that's why. Uh, anyway, clue one for everyone listening who's good at it and me. I, I think this one's really easy, but I, I, I know by saying one. that I'm, I'm putting pressure on you for it. Um, okay, this ex-Garibaldi retired from football in 2010 after being unable to recover from a series of knee injuries. Is it Eagle Piggle? It's not Iggle Piggle, and I can also say it's not another character from In the Night Garden. Definitely. Uh, I was going to say it won't be Michael Packer because he's got, he hasn't, I think he's got any knees. No, he's not with that seen... bike. The pedal's too small, aren't they? It's got to be yeah. some cruciate damage with those. Oh, he, he got out his blower the other day. To He was really squeezing it and drying off the stones. Yeah, that thing that's underneath him. Yeah. It's like a, <laughs> I want to say puffer or blower. I don't know. He squeezed it a bit and they were all dry. Do you know, anyway. do you know what? I have a feeling we'll get through it, but maybe we shouldn't do this live in the future. <laughs> no, just, uh... <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's a different thing. I mean, because obviously, <laughs> what the thing you have to remember, uh, dear listeners, is we can't edit this, so it has to be in one long run. Uh, but I'm sure if we've not offended anyone yet, at least we didn't sing back a Packers song or Eagle Pickles. Anyway, let's get on to um, slightly uh, safer ground, uh, terra firma, um, confirma, which I think is the Latin for that. Um, Let's go back. So, well, let's go a little back to the little bit of the FA Cup, Dan, because we haven't discussed that since then. Um, they're not our rivals, are they? What's wrong with them? Yeah, it's, it's all a bit... Although, I have to say, we're, we're trying a bit too hard to make them not our rivals in some way. And I actually said, and I'm, I'm going to obviously fall foul of many a people who listen to this, one of the worst atmospheres in terms of animosity was when I went away to a Leicester game in the early 2000s. So... Um, they say it takes two to tango, but actually from a rivalry perspective, you only need one half to think it's a rivalry and you get some pretty nasty stuff going on, I guess, as we as we saw. Yeah. But it makes it all the more sweeter, I guess, which is uh, when you when you go and bin them 4-1, then, uh, you know, it kind of puts it all to bed as well. So it's almost a better rivalry by not having a rivalry because you win twice. Yeah, did you watch it, that one? Or were you in um, pun, Punta Fun Times? I, I was away, but I did uh, manage to get bits and pieces of it. So um, I missed the first two goals, wow. uh, which were the two that kind of set it on its way. So I probably missed the, I don't want to say the boring bit, but the first 20 minutes or so where it was kind of back and forth. And from the point that I managed to watch it, it was kind of a one-way street, to be honest, apart from the uh, the Samba moment, which in isolation, I guess we could we could put down to experience, but given the, we'll maybe come on to that, given what he's done since as well, I think maybe someone just needs to put him back in his box for a while. Literally yes. in that case, back in your box. Yeah, well, the irony is if he'd have done that outside the box, he probably wouldn't have given away a penalty. Yeah, but, true. You know, um, Actually, I'd say that first 20 minutes was a little bit edgy. That's the bit where I thought, oh, these are different to Arsenal. They, they, which I predicted anyway, which I'm sure a lot of people did. They seem to give more of a, a crap about it. Arsenal were gutless, weren't they? But um, yeah, then after that, like you say, the, the goals started flying in. And I don't, I must admit, I, I don't think it's because of, there's been definitely been times in my life where I think I've been lacking a great joy. And I wouldn't consider this as one of them right now, but there are, def, I don't go mad anymore. Even like with Stoke, which we'll come to, I didn't go insane when we got that equaliser because I was a bit like, well, we should have, we were bloody winning this, you know, even though I think on, you know, with looking back, I think it probably was a fair result. Uh, but like with Leicester, I think, I think you see me tweet at the time, 3 0 up, I was still going, I've seen things. I keep saying it, going, I've seen things I have, I've seen what they can do to me. And it, it all goes back to that one time. Again, apologies if you saw me tweeting this. Um, we were 2 0 up at Anfield. Colin Moore was playing for them, I think. Steve Stone, I know, got one of the goals. Uh, I think it was the season with just 
second season, maybe in the Premier yep. League. However, yellow kit rang, away. Yeah, rang my mate Jay not on his landline, and I was like, "Yeah, two 0 And obviously, I think we lost four two. I'm pretty sure Colin Moore scored as well. Got it made that he did. Um, maybe didn't, but since that day, so what? What year are we talking here? About 95, 96? Yeah. yeah. I've not done it. I, I've never definitely gloated, but equally, I've had kind of a level of staying kind of level grounded. I mean. Is, is my soul fundamentally dead or have you found that since you got older you don't go as crazy for unless it's kind of like a you know like a last minute winner or something like that it's, it's almost the expectation and, and the circumstance and the location so I think if you're at the stadium it's hard not to if, if you're not as both of us aren't that often now um, it, it, when it's unexpected I think you can take that joy from it when you get mm. into a run there's always that danger and it's like everything where the pressure comes because, you know, when we're in kind of 15th, 16th and we were all sat on a pod before Christmas saying, oh, where might we finish? Or we might finish 10th. We might sneak into the playoffs. We're now, well, we were sixth and suddenly you go, oh, okay, well, this is ours to throw away now. Whichever way you look at it, we're on form and we either stick with this form through the rest of the season and manage to get into playoffs or things go south. So now there's almost a bit of pressure and when there's mm. pressure on you, it's it's a bit more difficult because you walk away from the Stoke game and you go, well, all right, we got that last minute equaliser, um, but you know we really need to win those games. And um, yeah, I think it's that thing of trying to take the games a bit more as they come and go, well, this is enjoyable, this is what we're in it for, uh, an escape for ninety minutes. So we should treat it as such, and you know re- we should be excited that Ryan Yates scores late and then get on with our lives rather than go, oh, well, that's two points dropped and kind of overanalyze it to the point where you don't want to look back on this season and feel it's a failure if we don't want to get into the playoffs because it will have contained many moments of euphoria mm. that you can't deny happened. Now, did they finish? Did the destination justify the journey? Maybe it won't do. We'll, we'll find out. But it's a bit of that kind of thing of you've got to treat these games one after another. Otherwise, even if we, you know, even if we put everything on the playoffs and say, well, it's only worth getting excited about if we finally do it, then we're going to have another five years of disappointment after that. So what are you in it for if it's not for the, for the games? Yeah. Cause I mean, the person I was watching with sports Chelsea and they were more excited than me when they scored, when we scored the two, two, um, let's bring it a bit towards Stoke. They actually, but Oh my God, why aren't you celebrating? And when I sort of said, I was still annoyed, I think. I think I was still annoyed with Samba. And I was a bit like, we've because, you know, the cold light of day, like I say, the draw was probably a fair result. They were solid. They were, you know, I was looking at the league going, where the hell are they? So they're playing really well. Um, but as we know, that league, there's a lot of positions in there and places where people are playing really well and they're really tight. But I just felt a little bit like, just I think the anger that I'm sort of gone from me. That I was just like, oh, Samba, so stupid, you know? Um but obviously, I was really pleased it was Ryan Yates, and I was pleased it involved Scott McKenna. And you know, there's, there's that great clip doing the rounds where it hits the bar, and everyone like goes, "Ooh, oh, ah!" You know, the roller coaster of football, isn't it? But um, did you see anything of the Stoke game? Uh, but oh no, you you were you were in the air, weren't you? So you didn't. You already told me. That. I, I was at an airport, and I was trying to keep up with it, and I was seeing clips that people were posting, <clears throat> and then literally, I lost the Wi-Fi in the terminal as we went to get on the plane, it was proper old school as well. You walk onto the tarmac. That was, that was the Beatles. I was thinking that I always wave back like I'm John Lennon at that point. Yeah. I'm I'm Ringo Starr in that. that Hello. um, Hello. Yeah. Not because of my musical prowess, but because I like voicing over Thomas, the tank engine in my spare time. Maybe you Um, could do voiceovers for Iggle Piggle and, and the in the god, I, I think we need uh, to think of a forest player that can fit in with a and in the night garden name for the title of this podcast. We'll come up with it. Um, yeah. but no, so yeah, the, I, so I, I missed I missed the last 10 minutes. I think I was texting and then I didn't realize that I was losing the Wi Fi, so I probably sent you all a message, something about where the game was, and then I landed, <laughs> got back here like four hours later, and suddenly all this stuff popped up and what have you. And I was like, what's, what's going on? And then uh, obviously saw saw what had transpired. And yet all of that went on. And uh, when I took off, it was 1-1. And when I landed, it was 2-2. So actually, nothing really changed. Nothing really changed in terms of what we took home from it. And I think that, um, what was I going to say to you? Is I think there's something, there's some really weird feelings have happened this year for us, where when we went 2-0 down at Cardiff, which I think, I don't know if you saw that one, but I think we we were misplacing passes the intensity wasn't there was it just felt like they were off they're having a really off day i thought they might come back even you know, and i was watching it was two other people watching it with me who don't support forest and they're going oh that's that then i was going no they've just got a spirit about them this lot and 
and even then, even with 10 minutes, five minutes, I was going, you know, when there was the goal, I was like, come on, we can still do this. There's something happened this season that I can't put my finger on, and maybe you can, because you're a bit more eloquent than me in terms of how you put things sometimes. But I think there's just been so many occasions, like Middlesbrough, we got absolute, we got our arse handed to us for a lot of that game. And I generally went, okay, another game coming up. I, I don't, what, what is that? Is that Steve Cooper doing it? Or because... So my only my only guess here is because um, I'm not sure anyone really knows, but I think you've got to put it down to it's easy to say confidence, but really what confidence is is being expecting that you're going to make something of it, right? And that only comes from experience, and it works both ways. I think if you're sat there under Hutton at the beginning of the season, having lost a lot of games at the end of the previous year, then going goals behind at the start of this year, you must be stood there as a player going if we do the same things, we're going to get the same result. And the same result is not getting back into these games. So even if I do what I'm being asked to do, nothing is going to change. So you have that mentality of why keep doing this thing if the answer is going to be what the answer always is. I think, I'm not saying we got lucky in any way, but I think when Cooper came in, or at least Hewton left, and we had that result under Reed away at Huddersfield, suddenly people go, oh, well, if we do something different, we get a different result. And then the moment people talk about momentum, but again, momentum is just that thing of repeating things and getting a positive outcome over and over again. And even then, if you have a blip, you go, oh, well, hang on a minute, we've done this seven times and six times it's worked and six times we've come back or whatever it may be. And I think we're just in that role at the moment that successful teams get into where they go, well, we know that this works, so let's just do it. We know that it works. I'd argue there's a look thing as well, Adam, because you could, if, if all of those games had been a change in what he'd been doing, same players, but there'd been a few off someone's arse and off a pigeon flying by, I think you'd know that you were living on the edge. And it's felt like that under Sabri at times, I felt that it was a bit like, this could bloody go either way, this. But I think this team seems quite assured. They seem almost like a professional football team. And I don't, I really don't mean that as jokey as I've made it sound. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, completely. And I think I've read, you know, you can do what you want with stats to a degree. Um, but I think I've read under Sabri, we overachieved. If you look at expected goals or you look at mm. chances converted or whatever, we did overachieve. And, and you know, the, for the 20 years before that, people would say, oh, we were always unlucky and everything. I'm not sure that's really true. But when you look at the Sabri season, we did well and we had our rub of the green, let's say. So we probably got what we deserved in the long run based mm. on the games we should have won. This time I agree, which I think we're actually probably deserving of what we've got so far we've got I don't want to say we've got lucky but we've hung on to games till the end we've scored a lot of late goals to get draws or to get to get wins and I I feel like we kind of deserve them because as you say it's not we're getting a lucky bounce or anything else we are continuing to create chances into the 95th minute which we just didn't do before if you're confident, you go and sling another ball into the box and you put it in early and you think, oh, well, I know that Johnson's going to get on the end of that or I know, like, Max Lowe out wide. He can play a great pass, but also he knows that people are going to get in there. So he doesn't even have to think, oh, should I put it in? Should I pull it back? He's like, chances are, if I throw that in 10 yards in front of the keeper, someone's probably going to be around there. And also, if they're not around there, their defenders are going to be shitting themselves and kick it out for a corner anyway. So it's win-win to a degree. And I think we're just creating that. And teams have to be wary of that, right? When they play against us, they must be thinking now, we've got to change what we do against Forest, And that takes them off their own game. Yeah, the game, the game management is, is way better. I think it was the... Oh, God, it was Derby, I think, where we had that load of extra time. And, you know, we were all probably again going back in a journey in time to things we've seen. We've seen things. I feel like Rutger Hauer in um, Blade Runner when he's going, the things <laughs> I've seen. And I'm chatting to the Chelsea fan about it. Goes, God, you're always going on about... I said, I could give you a list of a, easily 20 things and then ask Dan, Lisa and Holly to give you another 20 things they've seen. Uh, they'll all be different. <laughs> it's like, do you remember uh, Accrington Stanley in the League Cup? I had a broken leg in a pub in Brighton. Everyone ripping the shit out of me. Most people won't go for that one, but it was. I've seen that. You know, yeah. I've um, lose away at Chesterfield in a FA Cup tie where they went on to the semi-finals. Is that we threw the ball in the road? Was that across the era? Uh, no, that, that, that was, was Pompey. That a Blackburn. Pompey, he yeah. definitely caught the ball at Blackburn, rolled over and threw it in the net. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. See, we've seen things. There's four of them already. Um, but I think here's, here's a quick one for you. Let's have a little bit of uh, jovi- joviality, which I don't think is the word it's going to be. So I'm going to give you... Let's go with their strongest, most played 11s, okay? I'm going to give you a little head-to-head. So if it was He-Man versus Skeletor, you'd tell me who would win, and then I'd put you through to the next, you know, the next person. So here we go. Philippe Montagnier's Nottingham Forest 
are playing Chris Hewton's Nottingham Forest. Who wins? And what's the score? Um, the score, if you want, <laughs> and, the, and the kits. Phil, Phil, uh, Philippe Montagnier's team win. Um, this is a difficult one because if you hadn't said Hewton and picked someone else, I would have said Philip well, Montagnier. I'm trying to be a really five, good host. <laughs> I know <laughs> five. It could have been like five four, but Hewton's team would never score four goals. Can that uh, um, Damien? What was that Damien Pertois? Who was that really? Perquise. Perquise. Oh, yeah. wow. he looked like a nut. I liked him. Yeah. Right, what's the um, score? So you're going for Montagnier to win? I'm going for Montagnier to win, and I'm gonna say was it Pereira to get sent off? Guaranteed. Yeah, but the fans will love him. Yeah, he scored a great goal away at Huddersfield. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, that was a Flicked over the keeper. I was in the way in for that one. That was good. Um, yeah, I, oh, Monta- Montagnier's teams were interesting. They really were because no one knew who any of the players were. No. Um, but there was still a bit of confidence that some of them might have been like undiscovered gems. Mm-hmm. Just like now when we sign someone and we go, oh, what about at the beginning of the season? Oh, what about Jed Spence? Oh, he's not done very well at Borough. What about Max Lowell? He can't get in at Sheffield United. It was almost the same thing with Philip Lahm, Damien Perquise. Philip Lahm. Um, uh, Lord Bentner. There was just so many players where you're like, oh, what, what if what if Perquise turns out to be excellent? And what if Bentner comes back to his old form? And then not yeah. a single one of them worked out from memory. <laughs> no, but he apparently has some very nice cheese. Uh, so Montagnier is going to win. And what sort of scoreline are we talking for? I, I was, I'm going to go 3-2 two. two goals from Hewton's lot yeah but it, that's not because it's Hewton's lot it's because he's playing Montagnier I understand okay so Montagnier's lot in the next round uh, excuse me up against Doogie Friedman's team oh okay that's an easy one yeah 1-0 Doogie Friedman who scores uh, oh good question who did we have under Friedman I'm trying to think now I'd say a Sombolonga Right, because he was yeah. he got injured, and did he get injured that's under before, Friedman? I think that's before Friedman wasn't allowed to spend any money. Yeah. All right, so Friedman's lot against Karanka. I, I'm going to stick with Friedman. I, I honestly think is he now... going to beat Warburton as well? Yes. So he's gone through two rounds there easily. Have you have you watched that? I'm going off. I know we're all over the shop today. Um, but have you watched the documentary about Crystal Palace on Amazon? No. It's called, I think it's called Where Eagles Dare or When Eagles Dare or something about eagles. Um, and it follows, they basically, all these documentaries that come out behind the scenes and it's all a bit kind of manufactured because it's all about the clubs wanting to get their brand up and everything else. But this one, they followed the team that Glenn Murray scored 30 in. Uh, so that was 2012-2013. That's championship season, wasn't it? Yeah, when they beat Brighton in the semi-final. Yeah, that's the playoffs, right. And then went on to that. beat, um, who did they play in the final? In my head, I'm going for Charlton, but that's but in the 90s. That was Clive, Clive Mandonka and Neil Shipley and stuff. Yeah, that was against Sunderland, wasn't it? I'm trying to go Watford. They played Watford. Mm. So they beat Brian, they beat Watford, and they've been in the Premier League ever since. So they've taken this footage that no one ever did anything with, which starts with their, their three hours from liquidation and their fans turn up at Lloyd's Bank to basically force Lloyd's Bank wow. to sell the, the ground to uh, Steve Parrish and his consortium and you find out that that consortium was just three other guys who were big Palace fans who didn't want it to go under. It all just had a gentleman's agreement. Let's just put 25% in each, maybe, to make sure we can do this. And yeah. I was like, no, there was no, it wasn't Mike Ashley going, oh, I back and rinse them and then make yeah, some yeah. money later on. Um, and the fans were, you know, blockading the bank and all sorts. And it all went through. And then it follows Doogie Friedman being in charge of for a year and a half. And then admitted, he admits himself, he made the mistake of going to Bolton because he believed his own hype. And that was the biggest mistake of his career, um, going to Bolton and then subsequently came to Forest afterwards. Um, but that team under Friedman, when you look at how he put it together and what he asked them to do, yeah. what comes through on the documentary, as much as I'm rambling on here, is Ian Holloway came in to replace Friedman because Friedman left halfway through that season and asked the team to do things a bit differently. And Holloway had just come off the back of um, Blackpool getting promoted right. um, up to the Premier League oh, and everything stop. else. So he had a reputation. He played good football. But what essentially happened was the team turned around and went, mm, we don't really like this. Can we play how we used to play under Dougie? And they, Holloway went into the dressing room and went, sure, all right, this isn't working. Do what you did under Dougie. And then yeah. they went on a run and got into the playoffs and finished it off. So uh, to, to side completely sidetrack your game, whatever comes up now, I'm going to go with Dougie, I think, unless okay. we get through to Steve Dougie, Dougie versus... <laughs> Well, first of all, this is the new two-man format where we'll give you film and documentary reviews. Uh, I watched Power of the Dog the other day. Um, 
highly confusing. Uh, there we go. But also beautifully shot by Jane Campion there. Anyway, moving on. Um, yeah, so it's Doogie Freeman's uh, Spartan 11 versus Sabri Lamouche. Doogie Freeman. Okay. It's now time for Doogie Freeman versus <laughs> Steve Cooper. Uh, and at that point, I'm going to have to go Steve Cooper. Steve Cooper versus Billy Davis. Final. Steve Cooper. Do you, I mean, that's the one I've been thinking about most. And it was a really long-winded way of going. Do you think Steve Cooper's team would have done Billy's shit housing, freestyling, here we go, throw it all, everyone hates us kind of thing? Because it's a different unity. Because it, I keep coming back to Billy, not because I'm, you know, wanting back. There is a time when I once tried to play a video of him online and it said this content isn't working and I saved it. And it's actually been quite ironic that he hasn't worked since. <laughs> and I would have forest work anyway. Um but it, it was the last time when I did that little survey, which loads of people voted on on Twitter, saying that was the last time I was kind of happy with an attacking forest. It was a, and I think if I did it again, so when was the last time we had a proper unity like this? You'd probably say Billy, but it was a different siege. You've got like almost a, a hero's tower versus a villain's tower in a way. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. I think the thing that always comes up with Billy is like when all the ex-players say, you know, he, he made it us against the world and he got us as a group of 11 or 15 or 18 or however many is in a squad. They got us together and that's all he really cared about. Whereas yeah. Steve Cooper is kind of like, it's not us against the world. It's everyone's welcome, guys. It's anyone mm. who wants to be us versus the 11 we're playing mm. and we'll shake their hand at the end. So, yeah, it's... it's it's a bit, I, I want to say it's a bit more pure in terms of football. Steve Cooper is a stand in front of the whiteboard, draw pictures. And you can hear in his interviews, I know he, he sticks to certain branding about what he talks about, and I can tell he believes it. But behind it, when you listen to some of the other stuff that goes off, Ryan Yates, I think, dropped something in an interview that kind of went unnoticed at the weekend about, yeah, at half time, we put on some stills from video clips of the no, first Coop, half. Cooper said it. Was it Cooper? He said, we put on a video and pictures, and he said, you saw when Max put the ball in, that's what we'd shown them on videos. And I was like, yes! That is that is Billy Davis. That's Billy Davis laminated presentations that he's printed off. And it's the attention to detail. So the tactics, I think, I don't mean the tactics are the same. The attention to tactical detail is the same. And I think it's no... In the modern era, it's no coincidence that the, the teams that do best are the ones with managers who understand how to play the game better <laughs> yeah, yeah. than other managers, right? You've then got the job of motivating your team to go and do it. And that's where the two differ, I think, because the two have different ways of motivating. But mm. the underlying foundations of you've got to be a good tactical manager of that time. Billy Davis was a great manager of 2010, 2011. Cooper is the same now and i only hope we can just go that one step further because they will both go down if we don't they'll both go down in the forest history of they were the best two managers we've almost had one every decade paul hart yeah, nearly got right. us up there and he was great billy davis 10 years later nearly got us up there and he was great cooper 10 years later nearly got us there and he was great who are we going to have in 2030 who nearly gets us there so this is that's wayne where rooney. it's got to be different <laughs> wayne rooney yeah exactly uh, but no you is it got me all nostalgic for those i think billy as well i did highlight that it's a time and place game as well because when he came back the second time and it turned into basically north korea it was by far one of the most bizarre and also sad episodes and um, while we're here dan uh, give me a second part of your um thing that i'm never going to guess his music Okay. Oh, hold on. No, here isn't your music because I didn't press the right button. Sorry, bear with me one second. Uh, press that. Here's your music. Um, all right. So the first clue was retired from football in 2010 after being unable to recover from a series of knee injuries. Second clue, a product of the youth academy at Forest. He was described by David Platt as the best passer of the ball at the club. Two people just sprang to mind, right? Pause the music for a minute. And they both were players we bought. Um, so it can't have been them. Best Do you want the third one now? Oh, I think I think I know I think I know who it is. But yeah, let's go for the third one. Let me put your music back on. Oh, you can't do it. Here we go. Well, you can. Anyone listening, Dan can do this without the music. Anyway, go on. <laughs> Sorry, I just need to get the key right. Hang on. Count me in. There we go. Um, this Scottish international was a member of Paul Hart's famous 2002-3 squad. Well, I know who it is. So, to, to if you can see me, can you? Yeah. Correct. Yes. Yes. I would. I think I would have got on the one before, but anyway. I and it's funny because I was wondering what happened to him uh, the other day. Let's save the last bit um, because we're going to talk a little bit about something um, 
I spoke about on the radio tonight, which was quite interesting. Um, and it's about this thing regarding, well, there's two points really, but one of them is to do with Brees. Um, and the question came up regarding, do you, how do you think the players would have reacted when they went in the dressing room and saw Samba? And I gave a two-part answer that was how I think they would have been pre-Cooper and post-Cooper. Um, I don't mean to sort of, you might completely disagree, but I wouldn't know your point. How do you think he felt with that? Can you imagine it seeing it again? Um, what's your overall thoughts on when something like that happens in a club, but especially at our club? So I, I, I'm not going to, I just want to preface this with saying, I'm, this isn't a, I told you so, or, oh God, you know, he's, he's an idiot or whatever else. But there's a few things that we've talked about either on the podcast or in various chat groups or whatever else over the, over the last couple of months. I feel in the base case, he's starting to believe his own hype a bit. It's one thing putting shithouse emojis on your own Twitter feed and winding up a few opposition fans. Can I interject um, one sec? That's the difference. Yeah. I've never seen a player before where social media is so, such been a thing. You know, you've got someone who's going, we think you're great, score some goals, which is very Alan Partridge. Score a goal. You can see that. This is one where he is even putting shithouse on emojis. Yeah, he's reveling in being the villain. Um, and I, I read that somewhere today. Uh, you know, he kind of reveling in being the villain to opposition fans. That's fine if that's almost a an aside to the base of what you're doing. But it worries me that you start to see a few things creeping in where it's the line between being in control of doing that and getting caught up in it. Like people talk about being in derbies and, you know, getting ahead of yourself. And I honestly feel there's been, and I'm trying to get to answer your question around what the other players think, but there's been a couple of occasions where I've caught a glimpse of him and he doesn't seem to be in control of his emotions on the pitch. The first was about a month ago and I cannot remember the game, but he wanted a short pass to McKenna and McKenna wasn't making the angle or you could argue Brees wasn't, but essentially there was an opposition player stood between them, short pass out of the box when the two, two of the three centre-backs come short. He, Samba tried to put it somewhere else. It went out of play and he berated McKenna. McKenna turned around and went, kind of, what are you going on about? But he kept going and the camera kept going back to him. And he was, and it was just before half time, and another player, Warren, almost had to hold him back. He wasn't going to get like physical mm. with McKenna, but he was shouting at him. I was like, "You've been preoccupied with this now for five minutes. Mm. That's not winding someone up or trying to get into someone else's head. That's you not being able to mentally get move on from yeah, something. That's in your head. Yeah, and then at Derby. I feel like he did the same. You could look at him and go, oh, yeah, he wound Lawrence up in the net when he was trying to get the ball back. But then getting involved in the Ravel Morrison stuff when you're already on a yellow card, you're mm -hmm. not doing anyone any favours there. You're not, you're not needed to do that in order to, to get to the next, you know, to, to win the game or anything. You're already in a good position. And yeah. his own players were saying, get back and get out of the way. And my only concern is, and you know, I can only see what everyone else can see from the distance. My only concern is he's believing the hype a bit and he's getting a bit, is becoming a caricature of himself. He's still mm. a great keeper, but that stuff around the edge. They say, well, you know, Cantona or other people or whoever, great players. You or Bruce Robillard was known yeah, for or, being, look at his glary, exactly. but he was still a great goalkeeper. Yeah, and Gascoigne and all these people go, yeah, but you can't take that bit away from them because then it'll take the other bit. But bull, I call bullshit on a lot of that. It's like yeah. you can tell him just not to be an idiot in certain circumstances and it doesn't change his ability to be a good goalkeeper. Mm. Um so I, I'm not sure what players would have said to him or anything else, but I can't imagine they're all stood there going, oh, God, well, that's a bit out of character. We'll be fine next week. I wonder whether a few of them are kind of in a way thinking to themselves, I hope he fucking learns his lesson from that mm. because we can't, he, he can't be doing that. And I appreciate we're recording this live, so we're going to struggle to edit bits out. So I'll preface this with, I have no information that anyone else doesn't have. But my understanding was at the end of Sabri's season, he got into some off-the-field problems which meant he was dropped for Jordan Smith coming in. And then that led to us losing a few games. So I'm not going to blame us not getting into the playoffs on, mm. on um, Samba, but I do think to a degree he's got, he's got to sort out his professionalism. Um, and this hopefully will be that wake-up call. And I still think he's one of the best keepers in the league and he's probably saved us more points than he's conceded this year and years before. But it could be better. And that's just a frustrating bit for me, which is I'm not saying he's rubbish. I'm not saying he shouldn't be in the team. No, He's good. He could be great. He's, he's eight out of ten. He could be nine, nine and a half. How old is he? Then? Championship keeper. How old is he? Oh, I'll, have, I'll have a look. Hang on. Twenty six. Why? Why? Do you know what? He reminds me of that mate who is constantly on the night out, has a few too many jars, and is the one who's going to climb a lamppost. And you keep going. You're going to fall off that. You're going to fall off that. And a few of the lads are like, "Hey, there goes Crazy Bill." 
and then a lot of people going, I told him, I told him he was going to fall off that. Yeah. And then you're like, well, do you know what? Let's not go out with him again. He's a fucking liability. All right. And then he turns up at your wedding with a broken arm in the photos. Yeah. The one time he did do it. Like, yeah. Worse. So, (laughs) and I will not take away that, you know, I say Middlesbrough, that could have been a cricket score. I can't remember, Millwall maybe. It was outstanding at Millwall, I think it was, where he was really good. He, like, I agree with you fully, a top keeper, but that shit will not wash even half again. Because Leicester, let's admit, that could have been. That could have got tasty at 3-2. I know with 3-0 up, whatever. At 3-2, we would have given them one of those foot foot back in the door because of him. There was no need to be doing that. There was no need to be coming for that ball. It's almost like he gets a little bit bored and thinks, I need a bit. Of, I don't even think it's a limelight. Like, okay, I think it's kind of like a villain piece. But whenever I've seen him, he seems like he's fun time Charlie. But even with the egg on his head, it felt like that was another thing. It's almost like he's hunchback for his villainous, you know, like he was playing his Richard III, but mine's on my face. And... I just think yeah. Cooper, he's lucky Brian Clough isn't his manager because he would have been sacked already from what happened the other day. He would never have played Forrest again. That's the truth. And I know that's an older time or whatever it is and his transfer windows, but he just would have been dropped. He'd been playing for his son's team, Simon's team in the non-league. Um, but it does open an opportunity. What weirder thing? Let's say Forrest go up because of the amazing clean sheet run of Hovarth in goal now. And do, I mean, you might know a bit more about him than I do, but I don't know if you do with the States, but I'm not judging him on Middlesbrough or the Wolves game. No, I, I, and the bit for me is, I think, bringing those two things together, both Samba being out of the team and now Horvath coming in. Um, there's been a couple of rumblings, or, or, you know, like on Twitter, on some, you know, some very um, well-respected accounts. I think Liam Henshaw being one of them and a couple of the other stats-based accounts that actually show as much as people think that Samba is good distribution-wise, Oh, it's poor, yeah. Not, he's not versus the rest of the league on average and actually shot-stopping. Exactly, and, and we need that distribution ability. Um, and Horvath has some of that. I, obviously, we haven't seen it at Forest yet, and it depends what system you're playing and everything else and what you're being asked to do as a goalkeeper. But he's capable of doing that. He's also capable of being commanding. The thing he doesn't have is that bigger than larger than life personality that Samba has where you're going to get a meme out of him every game or you're going to get a clip out of him doing something or winding up opposition fans. And I think as a fan base, we've got to now look past that because it's entertaining. But it's but borderline entertaining. childish. Yeah, but it's, and you get all of that fun for it and you get stuff to look at during the week between the games on top of him being a good keeper. But if you've got someone else who can distribute and keep goal well, then we might just have to be bored on Monday mornings without a keeper meme for a few weeks while yeah. we, we give Horvath a chance. He's more than capable, but we all know as well goalkeepers and strikers live and die by their first few appearances for a club. If you're a striker and you don't score in your first five, especially at Forest, you're probably not going to make it. If you're a keeper and you make a couple of big mistakes in your first five games, again, it's very difficult to come back from that. And he's already made one and people are giving him the benefit of the doubt, or that that is uh, for the one against Middlesbrough, extenuating circumstances, Hutton's, you know, final games, all of that. Mm. He's got to have three good games. He's got to have three solid seven, eight, nine, ten out, uh, out of ten games um, because otherwise there'll be questions asked. And and as a keeper, that's it's all about the confidence, right? The keepers are in that weird position because Keenan Davidson score for a few, but he was, as I think I tweeted at the time, it was a, a class example of his initial games for Forest on how to play as a striker without scoring and being really valuable to the team, being aggressive, being physical. Keepers don't often get that. And equally, you could have three games where Scott McKenna, Cooper and Worrell are absolutely like the wall of Nottingham and no one gets a shot on him and he gets one and he saves it. And then again, you, that's your stats, damn stats and all that, you know, all that kind of thing, isn't it? That you could go, oh, he's got three clean sheets, but what did he do in it, you know? But though you could then those players could argue, well, we played a lot more calm and happy because we didn't think we had bloody... Bozo the clown going on behind us, or someone who was trying to punch me in the face. So it's, it's a real mix, but it's kind of a bit like relationships when somebody said, Oh, he should leave her, or vice versa, or things like that. Um, you don't really know what goes on behind closed doors. And I think Cooper's there with him every day, his staff, things like that. They'll know the temperaments, they'll know how these players are. And ultimately, whoever I, I think I'll be like a stuck record, Dan, whoever puts on that red shirt or whatever color shirt the keeper's wearing, they've got my full backing. Um, and I, you know, just hope he comes in and does really, really well. I'm, I'm just annoyed at when you said that on the colour thing. I'm still annoyed that, um, and this is one for at an FFC kit project, that Forrest put two keepers kits out for sale every year and then Samba wears the one that you can't get. That that epitomises his 
his, his current um what a waver <laughs> yeah so no. hold on so what's the because I, I said this to natalie the day so what color is samba's kit and she went it's kind of a silvery gray at home the other day yeah and what what can you not buy that no um so they, there's three up there's three every year and often it's like an orange a yellow or a blue they're the three macron colors um probably be able to pull them up and then there's variations each year macron do a slightly different you know um what's the word slightly different template but obviously they do templates in maybe four or five colors and forest sell two as the home and away but then samba often wears a third now i'm not saying it's his choice it's often because of what we're playing against and, and i'm going off on another rant but the the key thing for me is we're putting two kits out that we have no intention of wearing and then you can't buy the one they do wear so well, it's, you know, for all of you who are, um, I, 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 <laughs> okay, this is how you know this is live, because the thing, I could still stop, but it's too late now, that when Dan said about have no kit of wearing, uh, or no thought of wearing, the, the phrase came into my head, that was one that I, I think my dad once said to me about somebody who, who, who flirts with people without an intention, it's like a dog who chases a car has no intention of driving which I think is a really nice thought for everyone on Valentine's. And I don't know how it's connected. Quickly, though, we've got time for Dan to come in and give us the final one um, of the guest of Garibaldi. Here's his theme tune. All right. He I'll go through the others. Um, 2010, he retired in 2010 from football after being unable to recover from a series of knee injuries. He was a product of the Youth Academy at Forest and was described by David Platt as the best passer of the ball at the club. And the Scottish international was a member of Paul Hart's famous 0203 squad. And final clue, he left Forest when his contract expired and went on to play for Leicester, then on to Watford. You know, I nearly even added that Watford was where he probably ended, uh, which would have been, I'm making up for a little bit, obviously, with the the crap I'm going to be on with these. Uh, Were you a fan of this player, Dan, back in the day? Uh, Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was a big fan, actually. Yeah. Good looking chap as well. Uh, put everyone out of the misery, Dan. The answer is it is Gareth Williams. We even ended the music at the right point as well. So, yeah, Gareth Williams. Yes, yeah, so well done if you got that on the first one. Uh, I know when Lisa listens back to this, she'll say, What are you doing, Ryan? You didn't get it on the first one. Um, I'm going to really briefly start this music, which will is, is called suspenseful music. An hour of suspenseful can music. I, um, can I jump in before you with some more suspense before the suspenseful yeah, music? Yeah, go on. So I've just looked up the forest kits, and this mm. is this is really bad radio um, podcasting. But we have two kits that are for sale this year, like a blue, a baby blue kind of color one with mm. gray detailing, and then a silvery gray one with black detailing. Oh yeah, and the one that he wears is a lighter, whiter gray one with light blue detailing. So they're not even massively different. They've just really done it to piss geeks bite me off really <laughs> i feel like it's... <laughs> but you don't collect the goalkeeper shirts do you no but i now feel that i should do just because there's rare ones like that out there that I, you won't be able to buy that just won't be for sale and we'll play it yeah anyway the match worn the the joe Worrell edition will be coming out soon uh did you see joe Worrell's tweet where he said how it began and how it ended i did i did i enjoyed that for yeah. those who didn't see it it's him in goal as a kid versus uh now um so listen uh really really quickly dan uh bournemouth um away on friday i've gone for this logic that borum would won one nil and as a forest is bigger than a wood we'll win two nil that's that's um, good logic thank um, you thank you Similar logic to the person who decided to have a third fucking goalkeeper shirt. But I'm, go. I'm going to count to 10 and calm down in a minute. Um, Bournemouth, 1-1, one, one, I'm going for. I think we'll get a point. Um, and it will be a good point uh, in isolation. So, yeah, keep keep it ticking over. Yeah, because you said something on our group about a win here, we cement where we are. When I looked at the league, it is about pulling away. It's, it's not having as many hands to drag you down and under. And the Stoke game does gnaw me a bit for that as well, that we would have been... You know, it's a you know one season a one game a season does not make as we know very well um, from the Sabri times. But I know what you mean. I think we need to start edging in there. I, I think Blackburn's massive because I, I really think winning away a side that is so strong um, at home as well. And we have, like Steve Cooper said, I think it's two years since we've beaten a side yeah, that high up in the league. Um, I think that's a real a real one. So it'll be, it'll be a big test. Hopefully, a load of you tricky trees get down for that one. Because uh, I know it's a hell of a trip. It's actually quite near me, but it's not for you, Dan, a bit of a trip. Uh, but we're going to end with this uh, new feature called Steve Blatherwick's Bollocks, um, where we, well, we won't explain the rules because I think they're fairly obvious. Um, and so here we go. Do you want to start or shall I start? 
Uh, do you know what? I'm going to start. Go easy on me. I'm not playing uh, it for a while. All right. Scottish international Chris Doig. Um, hold on. Oh, yeah. Sheffield Wednesday 1, Forest 7. That <laughs> was, was that 94 or 95? 94, 95. 95, April, because it's around, I think, I think it's around there. Oh, in which case, simple. 3-3 uh, three, three draw with Reading in 97. Oh, that was the sending off, wasn't it? Certainly was. Dave Besant sent off. Okay. Um, oh, no. Uh, First one, uh, Chattel, yes. Chattel went in goal. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Sorry, I'm getting confused. Chris Bart Williams dancing to I Love You Baby. Chris Bart Williams scoring against Reading. Yes, it's the same thing. Am I about to call it on you? Are you answer is that your answer? You actually gotta throw that in? Oh, so he was dancing after that goal? Yeah, when he scored against Reading, it was I love you baby in the corner. Oh. Right, okay. In which case you can't play um, that. All right, in which case, uh, Matthew, Louis, Jean. Oh, Jack Burkett. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yep. Uh, am I allowed to Google Wikipedia? You can have one Google per game. Um, oh, Tommy Wright. Kingsley Black. <sighs> Might be a bit too quickly. Uh... I play. I'm going to play uh, the Wrang uh, Wrangler awake it. Double attack. Uh, gosh. Um, Crew Alexandra four one away. Oh, you bitch. Uh, Language. Female dog. Um, Lewis McGugan away at. Steve Blatherick's bollocks. They gave one. I can't remember who he scored away. <laughs> uh, there we go. I got a good one coming next as well. Who was um, who was McGugan's call? Was it Hartlepool? Uh, the free kick. It was. It was really late. Is it before? No. When the, the game last game of the season came after it, and it was a really important win, one nil away at someone, and I scraped my arm on the wall, and I had a McGugan mark on my, on my arm after that. It was maybe Hartlepool. We won one nil wow. away somewhere. Anyway, I don't um, listen. Thanks for listening. For those who have, oh, first of all, thanks for Dan for joining us, and uh, what well, us, me. There's no one else here. That'd be freaky. Um, and yeah, we will see you hopefully with more of us next week. Hope you enjoyed the new quiz. I uh, hope you enjoyed the guest of Garibaldi, and um, if you are able to find a special Brie Samba version of that kit for, for Dan. That'd be lovely because it, it is bothering him that he can't get hold of it. Um, and yes, uh, on, to, on to Bournemouth away and uh, say goodbye to the lovely people. Dan, if you'd be so kind. Bye. Bye-bye from us. <laughs>